I get to see a side of the world that very few people will. And whether that be the lives of these individuals and how they live their lives, or whether it be, unfortunately, the darker sides of the world, which for most people, hopefully, they never have to come into contact with. Coming up on British Thought Leaders, Will Geddes, international security specialist and problem fixer to the stars. Will talks about working in hostile environments and shares his hopes for the young generation to escape from wokeness. The world needs warriors, you know, whether they be in my world, whether they be in the business world, whether they be in the journalistic world, we need warriors. And without warriors, we are defenseless. I'm Lee Hall, this is British Thought Leaders. Geddes, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I feel honoured to be invited. Thank you. You spent three decades looking after celebrities, politicians, business leaders. I think the bodyguard doesn't seem to quite capture uh, the breadth of what you do. How would you describe yourself and what do you do? Well, you know, it's a very good question. And, uh, and again, depending on who's asking, when people ask you what I do for a living, uh, it will generally be security. And security is a nice broad term because it means different things to different people. But I would say threat management, although it sounds quite fancy, is probably the best way to encapsulate all the various different facets of protecting an individual who may have a wide spectrum of risks or threats potentially against them some of which may be tangible, some of which may appear out of nowhere. What are some of the more interesting situations you've had to deal with? My goodness, so it's, it's always really difficult to uh, remember or recall because what happens is it's a, such a fast-moving environment that quite often you'll be dealing with a multitude of different situations for different clients, whether that be a corporate, uh, someone in the public eye, uh, someone who may not be in the public eye but could be ultra high net worth. Right. And remembering those situations can be quite difficult, much like probably you as a journalist, you go from one story to the next. So I would say the diversity of situations, the one thing that I'm, I, I certainly believe I'm very fortunate in um, being advantaged by is I get to see a side of the world that very few people will, whether that be the lives of these individuals and how they live their lives or whether it be, unfortunately, the darker sides of the world, which for most people, hopefully, they never have to come into contact with. But we and my, my people and those of us within this industry sector, if you'd like, uh, have to uh, work hard to try and keep those threats away. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting world. Um, in terms of scenarios, every single job is different. Right. Well, the Times described you as the A-list's embarrassing secret. The idea being that you know, a celebrity has a big problem, they don't know what to do, they call you and you sort it out and no one hears about it. But, I mean, what's life like being this fixer to the stars? Well, it's a, it's a very fortunate and privileged position to be in. Um, and I have to say, it, when they, they referred to me as uh, the celebrity's embarrassing secret, the thing is, it's a bit like finding a good electrician or a good gardener or a good chef. Um, a lot of people won't want to share those details with other people. They want to keep them to themselves. And I've had many occasions where I've been at a, a major event where there will be people that will recognize me. Um, but as they're coming towards me, they'll be going, you know, I recognize that face. Where do I place it? And then you can see literally the penny drop in their eyes when they go, oh, I remember why. <laughs> and they deviate off in a different direction. So 
it is a best kept secret because for a multitude of reasons, uh, a lot of uh, clients don't necessarily want to divulge that they would need the support or services of someone like myself. But the one thing that is the privilege is the trust that they bestow in me to find them that solution to often an intractable situation where they need someone to come in and help them in an otherwise circumstance where they would control everything around them. This is the one exclusion to that. This is the situation that with all the money, all the power, uh, all the influence they may have, this is the one thing that they can't manage, they can't resolve on their own, and they need someone to come and help them with that. If you're providing close protection to someone for a period of time, you become like part of the family, does that bring any difficulties? I think it's about how much you create those difficulties and and forgetting, and this is something that you know maybe me now nudging my late 50s uh, have learned over time, is that we must never forget where we fall within the pecking order and the fact that we are the service after all. Um, it's amazing. You will meet you know, certain people in the public eye. They will regard you as their best friend in the world. If you lose sight of the fact that actually you are there only to deliver a service, the moment you forget that is the moment where it all starts getting very difficult and it becomes complicated. So even with clients of mine who I would count as friends, and I've done things for them which would be beyond most people's comprehension, uh, I never forget to call them boss or chief or sir. Uh, maybe I'm old school, but uh, even I've had some very well-known people who've said, asked me to call them by their first name. In certain circumstances, I might. In public circumstances, I wouldn't. I'd still refer to them as boss, sir, or by Mr. or Ms. surname. How much of this is about the physical attributes? Do you just employ the, the strongest guys, or is it more about the mental attributes? The strongest muscle in our body is our brain. Um, and the hard skills are very easy to acquire. Um, I've spent much of my life you know, practicing combat sports, whether it be martial arts, boxing, or otherwise. And yes, of course, you do have to have those capabilities that uh, push come to shove. And fingers crossed, if you've planned it well enough, those pushes to shoves shouldn't happen. But if they do, you need to be able to step into the breach and protect your principal and keep them safe. But the most powerful aspect of delivering, whether it be close protection, whether it be secure escort of some capacity, is the soft skills. It's being able to communicate effectively, whether it be the chairman of an international bank, their PA, or the doorman who is on the office you know, that they travel into, and never respecting that everybody has a part to play. And there's an old saying that, that I've always believed in, is that even if you protect VIPs, it doesn't mean that you are one. You must see a, 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 the worst side of people probably more than, than most people do. Are there any kind of negative behaviors that keep coming up over and over again? And you think if people just were a bit more aware of this, the world would be a better place. Are we talking clients or my own team? <laughs> In terms of clients, um, everybody has. Uh, the one thing I always say is, um, and I believe, you always have to consider is there are multitudes of things going on in each of our lives. Uh, some of these things will be good things, some of these things will be bad things, some of these things will be traumatic things. Um, and when you meet someone who is in, uh, in some capacity difficult, awkward, um, there's probably other frustrations which are influencing that behavior. So don't always take things at face value. Having said that, I have had some certain principals that I've worked with who morally or ethically 
I am in uh, conflict with. And when we're in a position of life-saving and we are going to potentially put ourselves into the breach to, to, to protect them and keep them safe and without wishing to sound melodramatic, take a bullet for them, uh, I want to do it for someone that I believe in. Uh, if there is someone who is perhaps an unpleasant individual, and I'm, I'm not talking being in a bad mood or necessarily arrogant, but someone who is just really in contrary to, to my own beliefs, then I'm not the person best served to do that. Maybe someone else is. So have you sometimes had to walk away? Yeah, <laughs> a couple of times. Not many. Um, I could talk about a leader of a, an African country, I won't say which one, who did request me to be his close protection, and uh, I walked away from that one. Um, and there's been a couple of others, but not many. I'm, I'm a pretty understanding and forgiving guy, uh, but there were a few people who just did not fit with, with my ethos, and, and that's not being um, trying to be grandiose or anything like that. It's just, I think, you know, you don't have to be their friend but you do have to like the person and care about the person. And the moment you lose that ability to care about the person you're protecting um, is really the time that you should be walking away. A lot of the people that work for you are ex-military, special forces, police. You've not really done any of those. Does that ever cause any issues, taking orders from the civilian? Oh, no, certainly not. Uh, it may have done a little bit when I first started in the business. And yes, I think for a lot of people, you know, inevitably you walk into, you know, the headquarters for a large um, oil and energy company or an investment bank or a ultra high net worth individual and they'll go, are you ex-special forces? Are you this? Are you that? And for a lot of people, they want to be able to put you into a specific box, which uh, they can then quantify and they can, you know, understand. And when you have someone like me that would walk in and say, nope, I'm not ex-special forces, uh, nope, I'm not ex-police, nope, I'm not ex-security services, then that throws them into a little bit of a turmoil, uh, into understanding whether you are able and uh, capable of providing the services. For my teams, um, yeah, over the last three decades, it's, it's been building my credibility, I hope, fingers crossed. Uh, and, you know, I speak certainly to military resettlement groups, I talk to guys who are coming out of the police, coming out of various different agencies, and I tell them, more often than not, if you think you've operated in hostile environments, wait till you hit civilian street. It's far more hostile. You've, you've talked about your childhood and said at times it was quite tough. Um, do you think in, in these things obviously made you into who you are and affected your life choices to get to where you've got to? Do you think as, as people these days, we're maybe a bit afraid of hardship and actually it's to our detriment to some degree? Oh yeah, hugely, hugely. I am of the Gen X, fall over, brush yourself off and get back up and crack on. I, I fear for the younger generations now, um, the ambiguity, the confusion, the um, offensiveness, the, the wokeness, obviously, to anything and everything that you do. Uh, I am a meat and potatoes kind of guy and, and I think we're losing many of those kind of elements that create our personal resilience. Uh, I, I'm not condoning bullying, I'm not condoning hardships unnecessarily, but I think we need to have those hardships to, to carve off the softer corners of us, to make us more resilient in later life. Um, and I think it's really important that we don't lose those values, and I think if we pander too much to people's sensitivities all the time and unnecessarily, uh, I think uh, we're not doing them a favor, 
and we're not doing ourselves a favor and we're creating a weaker world. The world needs warriors, you know, whether they be in my world, whether they be in the business world, whether they be in the journalistic world, we need warriors and without warriors, we are defenseless. How do we get some of these values back, like stoicism and, you know, keep working at it and then being a warrior? Well, I think we have to be a little bit King Canute, you know, we have to put our throne on the beach and, uh, and let those waters just come in and lap around us. I think we have to, um, we have to uh, not pander to the sensibilities. When we look at many of the things going on in the world, and particularly the rights that are being afforded to minority groups, some of those groups are fully justified. And I am not uh, intolerant to those minority groups carving their own way in the world and being more accepted. But when they start imposing their own will on mine, and they start asking me to adjust and to pander for their sensibilities, then that's where I have a problem. And, and I think ultimately we have to look at the situation of our current society and our current culture. And it's interesting because a lot of this wokeism uh, generated and evolved out of universities. And I was speaking with friends the other day who have kids at university, and they've noted that you know, a lot of these kids don't drink anymore. They don't take drugs. Um, some of them, I'm not a particularly religious man, but some of them have Bibles by their beds. And they're beginning to buck against this trend. Uh, and thank goodness for that, uh, because I think ultimately people will come unstuck. And I think ultimately we have to, uh, you know, it, it's, it's being harsh to be fair and to be kind, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've worked in several uh, former communist countries, helping the companies establish themselves there. I wonder about some of the, the challenges that you face in those kind of environments. Huge, huge. So, yeah, I will keep it generic <laughs> so I don't get into too much trouble. Um, yeah, one of the biggest problems in any kind of developing market or emerging market in an emerging country is the lack of any kind of um, integrity in the infrastructure and there will be organized crime groups which will be exploiting or even hiding in plain sight within the auspices of infrastructure, law enforcement, government agencies and the like. And one of the biggest challenges obviously for many companies is there's great opportunity for investment in those markets. However, there is the lack of support, the lack of protection that can be afforded to them. And then there's the uh, accountability for things like the FCPA, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, or anti-bribery law over here in the United Kingdom. And there are how our companies that have become horrendously unstuck. What we provide as facilitators, and, and I provide as facilitator, is to act as the intermediary to ensure that we're protecting our client, yet enabling them to operate in those environments without risk, intercepting, diffusing, deflecting, if need be, the risk in alternate directions so that the clients don't come unstuck. I certainly, having operated in parts of the world where it is endemic, there are problems where less sophisticated, and I'm not saying I'm necessarily the best, although I probably would say that, but there are some companies who come unstuck by trying to take shortcuts. And those shortcuts come back and bite the client in the proverbial. So it's about careful consideration. It's about measuring greed and accomplishment and success against the risk. A good example was uh, in Iraq, uh, 2003, taking in a very large Scandinavian um, telecommunications company, I'll say that much, 
and helping them set up the telecommunications infrastructure in Iraq just after, obviously, the end of the war. Um, and, you know, the risks were very high. And I had a lot of people coming to me and saying, Will, we want to go into Iraq or we want to go into Afghanistan or Sudan or anywhere else in the world. And they want those returns on investment. But if they don't plan their security well, uh, things can go horribly wrong, horribly quickly. And some people were cutting corners using cheap options. And as the old saying goes, buy cheap, buy twice. Is there like a kind of key time where a country is emerging from maybe a, a conflict or a crisis and the investors are all trying to get in there? I remember being in Sri Lanka after the war ended. And we were literally driving and there were landmines down either side. But then at the end, there's a five-star hotel. And then a couple of years later, there's loads of five-star hotels. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I've, uh, I, I, I love that. I mean, and we're very fortunate because we're in very similar industries of sorts and in the fact that we go to parts of the world which are prohibitive or permissive for, for other people. And I think um, the, the, the interest and the amusement of seeing those sort of things, I mean, I, I remember being in Baghdad, one case example, as we were just talking about Iraq, and sitting there with friends of mine um, drinking some very cheap, horrible wine uh, with a rather dubious meat course. I'm not sure quite whether it was dog, donkey, or otherwise. And hearing RPGs flying in back and forth in the background. And, and we're just sitting there laughing as the chandeliers are jiggling above us. You know? So you know, how, how many people have the fortune to be able to live through something like that? And like you said, you know, you going through a corridor of mines to get to a five-star hotel. And I remember the first time I went into mainland China many, many, many years ago and uh, going through the, the, the channels, the immigration channels, and producing my passport. Everyone was wearing the, the olive green outfit and the red star. And I'm thinking, we're going to hit, you know, really serious, you know, um, very, very basic sort of lives and basic environments. Walked through the other uh, the other door once I cleared the channels and there were Ferraris, Lamborghinis and everything else on the other side. So, yeah, I mean, we get to see some interesting parts. You kind of have your finger on the pulse of security issues and probably hear some things that the rest of us don't. And how do you feel about major cities in the UK at the moment? Because we keep hearing more crimes happening, yeah. like watch stealing, uh, shops getting raided. And I think we're all touched by that. I mean, I have friends of mine who've had watches stolen. And, you know, I wear my, my garment. I have some beautiful watches at home that I rarely wear. Uh, that's not to say that I couldn't necessarily deal with the situation. Um, but do I want to invite the problem in the first place? Um, we are in a really, 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 really troublesome time in terms of personal safety and security. Um, I think in terms of walking around in some of our largest cities, London, Manchester, Birmingham, Glasgow, for example, you know, as it's becoming more and more gentrified, that doesn't diminish from the street crime that is, that is escalating. I think also with the profluence of social media, there's almost an encouragement to certain groups and certain individuals with a criminal intent to utilize that uh, and to exploit that and to mimic it in many regards. Um, our police service is in a very dire strait. Um, I have great friends in the police, many of which who are of similar age to me and uh, a, few, a few younger, they're, they're giving up in some regards. They're, they're saying we're not able to obviously you know, prosecute what we do in, in, and execute what we do as, as a job because of the social conventions which are being into, beginning to impose. In fact, I spoke to someone who was uh, in uh, elite forces, so it's going through elite forces uh, recruitment at the moment and training. 
and uh, and he's being pulled up on basically on being bully on being a bully. Now, in this particular unit, and I'm not going to say which unit it is, but it's one of the elite regiments. Um, bullying is part and parcel of that particular regiment. You know, these guys are going to go out there, protect our nation, protect our people, uh, and take a few souls along the way, inevitably. And they've been getting picked up on calling someone names. It's it's madness. So I think we've got dark times ahead. I don't want to sound too negative, but I think, sadly, we've got to start realizing and recognizing that we've got um, some issues, and these issues need to be addressed head on. And sadly, there is no one within the political sort of circles, on with whichever party it might be, who seems to be able to grip this accordingly um, and, and actually address it. Theresa May did no favors to us by cutting the police forces right back. And yes, they may have recruited back to the original numbers, but you've lost a legacy of fantastically well-qualified officers, and it introduced a new influx of officers that are coming with these new attached cultural um, views and um, what's the best word for it? Wokeness, for lack of better words. <laughs> so you get a different beast, yeah. albeit in the same uniform. Yeah, and there is the code of conduct for police that they're not supposed to get involved in these political activities, but it seems that doesn't really matter. It seems that Sadiq Khan likes to get involved in it, and, uh, and a number of political parties are getting involved in the police. The, the, the police, um, they need to be able to stand alone. They need to be able to do what they do. Um, Mark Rowley, the current uh, commissioner for the city, uh, for the Metropolitan Police, uh, incredible guy with an incredible legacy, and Cresta Dick before him. Uh, again, an incredible person with incredible history and experience uh, who were strangulated by politicians and by the likes of Sadiq Khan uh, from, from being able to do what they need to do. Um, I, I'm of the era, and, and you may be as well, sir, uh, of, you know, you didn't talk back to a police officer. And if you did, you got clipped round the ear. And, uh, and I, I'd, if I had children, I've only got ex-wives. If I had children, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would want the police officer to do that. You know, there has to be this authority, and there's a lack of respect for authority now. And, and that's one of the fundamental problems which is heading us into this somewhat dark times. So your first company, you taught self-defense to females. What are some of the basic things that people can do just to kind of be a bit safer when they're out? Situational awareness. I say this every single time. Uh, it's being aware of what's around us. It's, it's because if you are aware of it, you're going to avoid it. Uh, and you're giving yourself a chance to avoid it. Um, it's a bit like, okay, so when I was first taught security driving, uh, there was the, the, one of the first pieces of advice I was given was tires on tar tarmac. Always make sure that you can see the tires of the car in front of you on the road. If you can, you'll always have room for your vehicle to maneuver around. So never stop nose to bumper. The second thing was always look the furthest point down the road as you're driving because then you can anticipate the potential hazard or problem that there might be, whether it be you know, a car crash or an RTC, uh, a hijacking, whatever it might be. Um, so I would always say to people, lift your heads up from your phones. It, it's, it, it upsets me when I walk around here in central London and I get on the tube and I come out of the tube station exit and people are immediately eyes down to their phone. And oh, people walking down the street, and they're literally just absorbed in it. So they never see what's happening. And the countless times, I'm sure you have it, people I'm bumping into because they can't see me because they're too enwrapped in their social media or cat pictures or whatever the hell it is that they're looking at. So you're not giving yourself any chance. Um, if I was a criminal and I wanted to steal the latest iPhone, 
uh, I would hang around outside a tube station exit, wait for someone to bring out their phone. I can go, great, that's the new iPhone. I'll have that and walk away with it. And they won't have seen it happening or, or even coming. So, you know, the best advice I can give is be situation aware. Who is around you? Um, is there, and then lead that to your instinct, one of our fundamental survival skills, uh, which is our gut instinct, our sixth sense, you call it what you like, which is there to forewarn us of danger and trouble. And if you see someone, group of people, that you can't necessarily quantify why you're feeling odd or feeling unsure about, do something about it. Don't walk into something which you're already feeling highly suspicious of or walk past that group of people that you already feel uncomfortable about. Cross the road, go in the opposite direction. You have a multitude of options that you can potentially take as an alternative to putting yourself into what you can already perceive potentially to be dangerous. So number one, keep your eyes about you. Number two, listen to that instinct. Those are the two best things I can suggest. Um, there are a few other things I can suggest, but probably not for this interview. <laughs> you tell me after. Yeah, exactly. You're also kind of very much in the international security world. What things keeping you awake at night do you think people should be worried about? I don't allow things to keep me awake at night, if I'm absolutely honest with you. Um, I, I, and I don't think other people should either. I think we've got to deal with these problems head on in the best capacity we can. And the best capacity we can is eating well, sleeping well, exercising well, uh, keeping ourselves really at our optimum in terms of our heart, our brain, uh, and our general health. If there are major issues out there, deal with them when they present themselves. Or take the suitable precautions and measures to prevent those issues impacting on you. Those are the best things I can suggest. Don't let them keep you awake at night, you know. Good advice. We'll get us. Thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.